0: Yeah, uh, if you if you are following in your Bibles, either paper or smartphone, whatever, we're in uh, Luke chapter 14, and uh, we've been in this now. This is the third Sunday that we're in this uh, uh, chapter. You can say that for three weeks we've been with uh, Jesus in the home of a prominent Pharisee and the first week the focus was on the guests Jesus observed the pattern how they all tended to want to sit in the places of honor and uh, this prompted him to tell a parable and uh, what he was teaching by that parable that he told is summarized for us in verse 11 for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That was two weeks ago, and then last week uh, the focus was not on the guests, but on the host, and uh, Jesus challenging him, but it doesn't say that he told a peril, but I sense in the way that he presented it, he was still in the parabolic uh, mode, and so the challenge to the host wasn't just for him, but for all of us saying that when you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite people like your friends or relatives or rich neighbors. Everybody does that. That's not special. But the bottom line, why not to, he said, is uh, they will pay you back. And then he says, rather invite those who can't reciprocate. The poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. And since you aren't going to receive any reward here and now because they can't pay you back you will receive your payoff at the resurrection. And of course, that's what he wants the focus to be on. Not the kind of applause or affirmation that we can get here, but to really be focused on that final day of judgment and the day of reckoning. Well, that statement prompts one of the guests to comment. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat and feast. I like that. Not just eat, but feast in the kingdom of God. Well, that was a a good comment. And uh, a no-brainer in a sense because, uh, you know, of course, everybody could could agree with that. Uh, Jesus himself may have said, well, of course, no argument about that. Uh, it should be a matter of first priority uh, to look to the reward that you will have in the kingdom when the kingdom of God which is present with us here is fully consummated. It should be a matter of first priority, but Jesus tells a parable at that point that shows that those who should especially be there, those who should especially be at the table, are taking it rather lightly. And so let's look then at the next section. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we'll read those words together. And again, it's a parable. Luke 14, starting with verse 15 to 24. Together, when? When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full." I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thanks. Please be seated. As uh, we look at this uh, section uh, in the parable in its various, we'll look at it in the various movements and uh, all have to do with the invitation. And so we'll consider how that the invitation uh, it was, number one, extended. Uh, number two, it was rejected. Number three, expanded. And then finally, rescinded. But the invitation extended. Uh, you know, he had this wonderful banquet, and, uh, and he puts on it, he says, a great banquet, it invited many guests. And uh, I wonder who these people were. You know, if we were to add some likely specifics in the parable, it doesn't tell us, but it's reasonable to assume that the names on his list were those uh, that were most natural to be on the guest list, you know, like friends, relatives, associates, the kind of people that it would be natural to invite. Now, a banquet like that took a long time to prepare. In Palestine, when a person made a feast, the day was announced long beforehand, and the invitations were sent out and accepted. But the hour was not announced. And when the day came and all things were ready, servants were sent out to summon the already invited guests. Uh, Now it's a lavish kind of a banquet. You know, great banquet it says, a great banquet with many guests. And we shouldn't be surprised I'll just tell you up front here that uh, the man who sent out these invitations represents God and it's uh, his welcoming hospitality into his kingdom and of course God has never portrayed as stingy uh, nor half-hearted uh, nor is his love anything less than lavish even as we saw in that video uh, nor uh, and well the story continues And uh, finally, everything is ready. And the servants are sent out to inform the invited guests. Everything is ready. Come. We're going to have a wonderful time together. And then something unexpected happens. The generous host is spurned. And so that's the second uh, movement. The invitation is rejected. Verse 18 says that they all alike began to make excuses. Uh, boy, that would, that would be hurtful. Some time ago, I, I don't remember the details, but I heard about, I think these people were new in the area and perhaps weren't fully accepted, and the daughter, probably uh, high, junior high or senior high age, had her birthday, and they sent out all these invitations and nobody showed up how hurtful that would be they all alike began to make excuses you know i'll bet there are some of you here who remember a certain song that uh, was sung many many years ago i cannot come remember that i think the one that i remember was you know come to the banquet and uh, singing nuns is the uh, group that i remember singing it um, Here are some of the words out of that song. A certain man held a feast on his fine estate in town. He laid a festive table. He wore a wedding gown. He sent out invitations to his neighbors far and wide. But when the meal was ready, each of them replied. And then it's the refrain that I think we all remember. I cannot come. I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me now. I've married a wife. I have bought a cow, I have fields and commitments that cost a pretty sum, pray hold me excused, I cannot come. But defines very well, describes what's happening here. I have bought a field. This man had expanded his business operation and he's preoccupied with that. Another man has increased his uh, ox power, his horsepower. right, a bigger bigger tractor (laughs) and he wants to try it out and uh, another one i have married a wife now obviously that's a very good thing and uh, but he can't come now we notice the respective excuses that each one has for rejecting the invitation but in each case the reason given for not coming has nothing to do with what we think of as sin. It's not about partying or revelries or about lack of self-control or laziness. It's not about anything that we would term sinful. Uh, They were all reasons given by busy, successful people. And actually, each of the excuses given here are about good things. Blessings, in fact. They were business matters and they were family matters. I have purchased more land. Business. I have purchased better equipment. Business. I've taken a wife. Family. Family interests. Material possessions. And that's the story in the parable. But remember that Jesus is teaching here about the kingdom of God. What is very sobering here is that the good things of earth stood in their way of the kingdom of heaven. Good things in this life got in the way. Is that unusual in the scriptures? Well, no. Jesus often warned that such could become hindrances to participating in the kingdom as well as heavy responsibilities of earth. Case in point, parable of the sower remember what happened to the seed that fell into the weed infested part of the field and this is the way it's worded in mark mark chapter 4 verse 19 but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful They said each had their respective reasons that prevented them from accepting the invite. And for each of them, the bottom line, the one thing that kept them from coming to the banquet, the common bottom line, they failed to appreciate its value. Other things, and in this case, good things, were more important. So they declined the invitation and missed the banquet. You could even say that their success stood in the way of what was significant. Now I think there may be a teaching here that directly concerns the nation of Israel. Jesus' own people had the first opportunity and they assumed that it was for them. But Jesus is teaching uh, here and elsewhere that if they reject him, they will miss out. And there are places where where they really really feel challenged in that he's preaching against them when he talks about the kingdom being turned over to some other group rather than them. But back to the parable again, it's like an open house. Their rejection was a grave insult. And the man throwing the banquet becomes angry but how does he channel his anger? Well, he doesn't abandon the dinner party. After all, he's a most generous host. He invited many people, and the rejection doesn't change his generosity. And so he makes arrangements to bring in others. As it turns out, they will be more the riffraff, the people that you wouldn't uh, expect, maybe, to come to a party or a banquet like that those who are truly disadvantaged in society. And so the invitation is expanded. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, passes on an account that was reported in the Boston Globe. This was in June 1990. And the um, column is about a most a very unusual Wedding banquet. <clears throat> Here's the way it goes. A woman in Boston, accompanied by her fiance, went to the Hyatt Hotel downtown and ordered the meal for their wedding banquet. They had expensive tastes, and so with their choice of menu, china, and flower arrangements, the bill came to thirteen thousand dollars. Now that's uh, we're talking uh, thirty year, uh, yeah, thirty years ago. So probably be a lot more today. They gave a check for half, half of that as down payment and then went home to work on the wedding announcements. Well, the day that the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. When his angry fiancé went to the hotel to cancel, the events manager was most understanding. She says that the same thing happened to me, honey, and told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract was binding, and she could only be refunded $1,300 on the payment that had already been made. You've got two options, to forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with a banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. The more the jilted woman thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with a party. Not a wedding banquet, of course, but a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so in June 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in in, in downtown Boston hosted a party such as never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom, she said. <laughs> and sent, <laughs> and <laughs> creative person, <laughs> and sent invitations to rescue missions and to homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half gnawed pizza off the cardboard dined instead <laughs> on chicken cordon blue. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served senior citizens popped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. <laughs> the invitation expanded. Well, that's, <laughs> that's that this part that we're looking at now, it expanded. And now the list reads differently. This time, the, he targets those, I would say, that are least likely. And uh, he, tell, you know, he tells a servant, go out on the streets. Well, that's where a variety of people would travel, more so than on the neighborhood road. And alleys, you know, go to the alleys. And that would likely harbor the loitering outcasts of society. And so, who is it that is brought? Well, it's the same unfortunates that Jesus had told his host to invite in uh, uh, the earlier part. That listed would be the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those considered most likely had rejected the invitation, but now his parable describes those considered the least likely, the ones are the ones who are invited. And, uh, but by telling this parable, Jesus shows that the very people who were assumed to be uh, right in their standing with God may not end up at the kingdom after all. And others assumed not to belong, rather could be the ones that would enter. Jesus is challenging the status quo He's going against the grain of current thinking, which, of course, he always uh, often did. But those assumed to be most likely members of the kingdom missing it and through their own choice. And these others, not blessed with a lot of things that kept them preoccupied, they carried little baggage so they could travel light, and they came. The unexpected, those on the margins, hmm. I wonder who they would be today. You know, I think the bottom line really isn't who these would be, whether they're hobos, back ladies, or people with a checkered past, certainly included. But I think the important thing is that God's welcoming hospitality extends to all. Those with a good past, those with a sordid past, those who are struggling currently, God's welcoming hospitality extends to all, especially those who value his invitation enough to accept it. Think of it. The host is God, the God who loves us. And he's not just loving us like, you know, you're invited, the door is open. Come on in if you want to. No, but it's like I really, really, really want you to come in that uh, last movement of the expanded invitation, verse uh, 23, compel them to come. This isn't, this isn't just, hey, you can come. No, compel them to come. And perhaps those kind of people, and especially if we were to translate it to the marginalized in our world today, uh, they may be the ones who especially need to be coaxed a bit because I don't belong. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't fit in. Uh, if, if it's the kind of church that welcomes these kind of people, oh, you know, church, I don't fit. And so they may especially need that. But God's love is one that really wants people to come. Remember in that other parable about the prodigal son? And when the prodigal comes home, the father, who represents God again, he doesn't say, who is that? The door is unlocked. No, he ran picture there is that elderly father ran ran because he saw his son at a distance and he became oblivious to his dignity and just ran to embrace his son compel them to come and his love for you his love for me is a eager wants you wants us kind of love and that's the gospel for Jews, for Gentiles, for the down and outers, as well as the up and inners, if they would only come. And so whatever your history might be, and I suppose there isn't one of us that doesn't have any regrets, but whatever our history, it's for us. However you have failed, it's for you. However unworthy you might know that you are, it's for you. And it's uh, it's especially, again, emphasizing, highlighting for those who consider themselves unworthy. The uh, parable demonstrates so well that constant theme in the book of Luke and perhaps someone has suggested this is the high point of that theme that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. How could he better illustrate it than this particular parable? The invitation extended, rejected, but then expanded. But then it was also rescinded. Verse 24, he says, I tell you, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. A wide open invitation. But there's also severity there. Compel them to come. I want my house to be filled with guests. The poor, the blind, the crippled. And yet at the same time, severe. There was a cutoff point. It says he became angry. God's word consistently reveals God is both abounding in grace. And at the same time, Decisive and severe in judgment. And towards who? Well, when we look at the Gospels, it seems that Jesus' strong, challenging judgment kind of statements were not against people like those despised tax collectors, it was not those caught up in immorality. It wasn't those who were part of the sordid bunch, the prodigals of the world. Rather, it was for those who had no appreciation for his grace and mercy. And I refer to it as blockers of grace. And if you're into football, you know what the expression means, someone who's a blocker, he blocks, prevents things from happening. Or in the medical field, you can think of it as a stroke, which blocks the circulation. Maybe in hockey it's a little bit like uh, hits. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. But it seems that Jesus especially was unsparing in his judgments against those who were blockers of grace, either by not accepting it for themselves or not extending it to others severe and hard for those who didn't believe they needed grace, like the Pharisee who went up to pray, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like other men. And, uh, but then he was hard on those who prevented grace from really flowing. I think of his the way he castigated the Pharisees who had all kinds of rules and uh, things that prevented people, you know, they were blockers of mercy and grace. And they had some rules that were especially difficult. It, it was like, uh, you know, it was like they had these, these, uh, the, the, these hoops that people had to jump through and harden the disciples, for example, when they wanted vengeance. Should we, uh, should we pray that fire will come down? <laughs> to strike these Samaritans that are not welcoming us. And again, he was hard on them because he was so against that. They wanted vengeance refusing to give grace or refusing to accept grace. Either way, he was especially severe against those who refused grace. And of course, this kingdom invitation was grace. Come, it's an offer. Be part of it. And what kept them away? What accounts for the difference in the response? And as we've already said, in their case, the baggage of blessings. They had so many good things. And so instead of valuing the offer, other priorities were in the way. Many passages where Jesus insists that he has to be number one. He has to be number one, priority number one. And even the gift which comes to us through Jesus Christ, which is grace, grace, the gift of the kingdom, has to be appreciated, has to be valued before people will accept it. It is the pearl of great price for which the merchant sold everything so that he could have it. He saw its worth, he saw its value. Tim Keller refers to Jonah 2.8, and he says, Jonah rightly says that idolatry blocks people from receiving grace. I think he's right. In Jonah's day, it was literal idols that they were worshiping. But in our day, it's the idols of our own making, something that is given priority rather than the Lord. It blocks grace. He has to be number one. C.S. Lewis is helpful here. He says that Christianity is false is of no importance and if it is true it is of infinite importance and he says the one thing it cannot be is moderately important boy that's that is a strong uh, statement and warning to all of us the one thing it cannot be is moderately important and so our call then and here there's a two Twofold call for us that I leave with you this morning. A, it is to keep, to make and to keep the kingdom of God first, not to allow anything to stand in the way of the banquet. Not cows, not tractors, not family values, but that the banquet has to be number one. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. But then what follows is that we, as we appreciate the kingdom offer, which is by grace, like the gracious invitation in the parable, when we realize that this is what we need and this is the basis of our salvation, it's all of grace. And that we're really all on the same level as we saw in that video. (laughs) We're all on the same level when we come to the table. As we realize that, then B follows. We need to be, we become people of grace. People who are gracious to others. People who demonstrate a welcoming acceptance to all who would come to the banquet. In fact, as the parable says, wanting, compelling others. And this from all the stratus of the world around us those who are wealthy, those who are poor, those who are in any place in between, and those who are well, and those who are broken. For his banquet is an open house affair.